Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Second Opinion with me, Dr. Christian. This is the weekly podcast that, if you've got an itch, it will scratch it for you. Now, um, I do have to make it clear, before I'm even allowed to start this podcast, that if you feel unwell at any point, you should seek medical help, either by using the NHS 111 helpline, consulting your GP, or visiting your nearest hospital as soon as the podcast is finished, or possibly before if it's crushing chest pain or bleeding from every orifice. But there we go. That's what the lawyers want me to say. The opinions expressed in this particular forum are my own, mainly, and those of my guests, but shouldn't apparently be relied upon for medical advice. But given I'm a qualified doctor, that really grates with me. It grates every week. Every week. Every week. And it's going to grate every week. As always, I'm joined by the wonderful, what are you going to be this week? Chief Medical Officer Stanger. How about that? Love it. Love it. Love the Chief Medical Officer with my lack of all medical knowledge. You've gone from this staff nurse to chief medical officer. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Rise. And this week on Second Opinion, we're talking about autism. It's a subject which affects an increasingly large number of people. And the reason I particularly want to talk about this is because myths abound everywhere. People get very, very angry. It's I think people feel it's very easy to say the wrong thing. Perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. TV shows are starting to cover it. Some people love them, some people hate them. Um, and we've got a man here who hopefully will set the record straight on all of those sorts of things. He is the Director of Science at Autistica, Dr. James Cusack. James. Hi. Welcome. Did I get all that right? You did. You wow. Did. <laughs> Amazing. So James, tell us a little about, about exactly what it is that you do. So uh, I work for the charity Autistica. Autistica is uh, the UK's autism research charity. And we exist to ensure that all autistic people can live a long, healthy, happy life. So my role at Autistica is really about ensuring that the funds that we raise is really dedicated towards achieving that vision through through research. So it's it's mainly research that Autistica does. Is that is that correct? So, so yeah, it's sort of correct. So I mean, that's our primary purpose. Yeah. But um, one of the things which we've really realised over the last few years is that research on its own won't get the job done. So we now do a lot of policy work, a lot of communications work as well, ensuring that any research that is done has an impact in the real world. Because you know, for Autistica as a charity, research being published in a journal is not 
really sufficient. We really want that research to be disseminated and having an impact in the real world. So we aim to bridge that gap between uh, research and impact as well. Does autism get the same amount of attention as all the other conditions, you know, as, as cancers and HIVs and all these other things, or do you feel a bit marginalised? Yeah, well, autism is, I think one of the things about autism is it's, it's, it's quite different from those other conditions in so much as um, what's first of all, it's a lifelong condition. It's 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 fundamentally about who someone is as a as, as a person. It affects how they experience the world around them. I think if you look at the effect that autism has on someone's life, so the effect it has on their health, their well being, their life expectancy, even um, there's been a lack of focus on autism today and we're really committed and determined to ensure that that changes in the future. I think certainly it's moving up to the agenda. So if you look at um, NHS England, um, they are now making that one of their top four clinical priorities and that's alongside cancer, cardiovascular disease and mental health. So I think that's a a fantastic step in the right direction. But we're really at the foothills. There's a a long way to go in autism. I don't think people really get autism Well, I was going to say, how, how would you describe autism? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I think um, the way that we describe autism in in really simple terms is Mm. autism is about how uh, a person interacts and engages with the world around them. So that means how they interact with other people and how they interact with the environment. So uh, a lot of autistic people have difficulties with uh, communicating. They might communicate in a slightly different way. They might have uh, sensory difficulties or uh, different ways of perceiving and understanding uh, the sensory environment. So that might mean that things like loud noises are um, quite overwhelming for them. They might have specific focuses uh, and interests and they might uh, become something which are almost obsessions as well and, and mm-hmm. things which they become really, really passionate about. Uh, and that and that can uh, impact them quite significantly uh, in day-to-day life. I think the other key thing about autism is that autism quite often co-occurs with other conditions. And so it's quite common in autism that uh, if you have autism, you have another condition. So that might be something like attention uh, deficit hyperactivity disorder. It might be uh, in some difficulties with anxiety. It might be dyspraxia. So difficulties with how you move, controlling your movements, maybe, you know, to put it crudely, it might be things like, which is quite often things like clumsiness, um, difficulties with handwriting as well. Um, and uh, I don't know if I said epilepsy, but epilepsy is a big co-occurring condition as well, which can have quite a serious impact on people's lives. And then obviously the other final thing is learning disability. So quite a lot of people who are autistic also have a learning disability as well. But one size doesn't fit all, does it? I mean, with autism, you, you might have, uh, I, I spoke to someone, I spoke to you earlier about this quote that I heard was, you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. Because mm. it, it, there's lots of different varying degrees. Is that ro- the right way of saying it or is that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And it's such a key point. And one of the things which I'll, I'll probably do on this podcast is I end up adding caveats to almost every sentence because it's extremely hard to generalize uh, because every autistic person is so different and so coming up with a set of hard and fast rules about what each autistic person is going to be like is is, is extremely difficult there are autistic people who require a lot of support and a lot of social care uh, and have quite serious difficulties with day-to-day uh, functioning 
And then there are some autistic people who are some of the most uh, outstanding members of society, uh, contributing, doing great things, professors, um, entrepreneurs, high achievers. And I think that is what's so fascinating to me about autism, but it's also a, a really interesting challenge, isn't it? Because we're trying to design support and ensure that everyone feels supported in the world when this is quite a varied condition. I have to say, I only relatively recently learnt how severe autism can be. I spent some time mm. in a school for severely autistic children, children with autism, autistic children. Mm. There's another one of those ones. I'm not sure which is right. Which is right or does it not matter? It's really interesting. So uh, one of my colleagues, uh, when he was doing PhD research, surveyed people on this and people tend, to, uh, people who have the diagnosis of autism prefer to put tend to prefer autistic people, but there's no hard and fast rule. So I'm some people prefer, what they prefer people, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people prefer people with autism. Some parents tend to prefer people with autism, but the people themselves t tend to prefer autistic people. I'm going to go with what the autistic people want, I think. Yeah. So it was, it was, I spent some time in a school for autistic children and I was really shocked, actually, is a, is a word I'm trying to avoid using, but really shocked at how many problems that they had just with the basics of day-to-day -day living. I, I actually had no idea it could go to that end of the spectrum mm. at all. How common is that? Well, I think one of the interesting things about that is that if you look at if you look at autism and in terms of how it was originally perceived, that was that was actually what autism was seen as being. And actually recently oh, really? the, the diagnostic criteria has broadened to uh, and catch the, a wider set of a wider set of people. Which, so sort of in nineteen hundred and whenever when it was first described. Yeah, nineteen seventies so, possibly. Yeah, well, nineteen seventies was when it was probably first beginning to become recognised in the UK. It was in nineteen forties when it was first recognised by two different people, so a person in Germany and a person in the US. So there was a guy called Leo Kanner who was a psychiatrist mm. in the um, states, and then someone else in uh, Germany um, called Hans Asperger, hence Asperger syndrome, mm -hmm. who also uh, identified uh, what he described as Asperger syndrome at the, at the time. He's, he's now quite a contentious figure uh, because he's been associated with the, with the Nazis and there's some quite controversial theories. Oh, Is this that. another name we're going to have to change? I didn't yeah, know yeah. That. Well, actually, yeah. So the National Autistic Society have just been through an exercise where they've engaged with their community and they used to have a uh, magazine called Asperger United and they've just recently changed the name of it because of the because of the, the association. And so there were some associations with eugenics and, uh, yeah, all, all quite unpleasant, but it's all... Um, I'm not an expert on the evidence of that. Um, I should say, but it's it, 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 yeah. It, there was another medical condition. You know, when you've learned something and you just know it as that name, and then suddenly you have to unlearn it as mm. another name. It, it's when you're when you're my age, it's almost impossible to do that. But <laughs> yeah. we should try. I but I, I should, I should, you know, getting back to that that school that you tend to do that is that is that is still quite common. And uh, one in four autistic children speak few or no words, mm. um, have uh, real difficulties uh, day to day, and they're quite often as we try and portray a more positive representation of autism, I think some parents can often feel that their child or um, adult um, uh, perspective isn't necessarily always heard or represented in the media. And that can be quite 
they, they can find that quite challenging because everyone's been very, very positive about autism, which is great, but also it's important to recognise that all sorts of different autistic people do have a range of different challenges. And, you know, the, the challenges of the people that you met at that school are quite often unmet and they're often actually now quite often unmet by research. And so if you look at reviews of autism research, there's, there's, they're quite often, that group is quite often systematically excluded from research studies because mm-hmm. they're seen as quite difficult to work with and to recruit into studies. So that's, and possibly not able to consent and things like that, maybe. Yeah, there's all these barriers. And so that's one of the big things that we're working on as a research charity is to try and change that mm-hmm. so that they're, that they're now included more proactively in research. And they always say autism is increasing. Is that true or are we recognising it more? Or is it both? <laughs> um, definitely the diagnostic criteria for autism has broadened uh, to uh, encompass a wider range of people. I wouldn't say autism is in uh, on the increase in so much as I don't think there are more cases of autism appearing. I think it's just better identification right. of of autism uh, and our understanding of autism as a society has increased. We've become better at recognising people with, slight, with slightly more subtle difficulties and at reaching populations which might be underrepresented uh, previously. So girls, although autism is more common in boys than girls, we think, um, girls were still being under-recognised as well, so they were presenting slightly differently. And it's the same with reaching other underrepresented populations as well. So obviously things like uh, socioeconomic status so um, your access to knowledge how much money you earn um, what uh, ethnic background you come from can affect uh, your likelihood of getting a diagnosis and so we're becoming increasingly effective at identifying people who need support in those groups as well girls are still diagnosed late aren't they or, or much later much later than boys tend to be they they are and i think it's because some of our diagnostic instruments aren't particularly sensitive uh, mm. to uh, identifying autism. But I also think in society, we we perhaps don't think of autism as proactively in girls as we do in boys, and perhaps they present slightly slightly differently. And um, there's, there's perhaps a theory that autism is diagnosed more proactively if someone is having much more obvious difficulties and maybe the difficulties that girls are having are... Um, are not as obvious to people or they're not being identified as proactively. So there's there's a lot of research looking at how we can change that. Um, when when are people diagnosed? I mean, is that really a broad thing? I mean, is it something that could be dormant and you find out later on in life when you're in your 20s and then you go, oh, that explains so much? Or are we better at picking it up at school level? I think it, it, it's changed um, quite a lot, but actually the average age of diagnosis hasn't changed very much and so the average age of diagnosis tends to be about five years five years old um if you've got a a co-occurring condition typically it can take a little bit longer so if you have something like uh, adhd or or dyspraxia it can take a while longer if you're if you're a girl um it, it can take it can it can take longer some people wait until uh adulthood and that um and that can be quite difficult for them because they, they've they've been diagnosed with other mental health issues. Um, I actually have a diagnosis of autism myself, um, and I received a diagnosis when I was 
12 and that was in 1997 um but actually i'd been at a specialist nursery so a nursery for people who have um additional support needs uh and i had all of the classic signs of 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 autism uh so issues um differences in terms of eye contact so i wouldn't necessarily pay attention when uh parents entered the room or anyone else entered the room i wouldn't really initiate joint attention so um you know i've got kids now so you know whenever my two-year-old comes over she's quite often pointing at me to do things so she'll point at a jigsaw and ask as a way of trying to get me to initiate playing uh with her uh i i wasn't really doing those sorts of things but also i had quite a lot of difficulties with uh with movement so i was quite clumsy i was quite slow to walk um i had quite a lot of difficulties with just doing anything like that grasping objects and and putting things together you know holding crayons um so it wasn't and but despite that it wasn't until i was 12 until i was eventually diagnosed i think the good thing is that probably now that wouldn't happen now i think a a three-year-old came in and presented with those sorts of issues or, or difficulties I think they would be diagnosed but I still think there's a lot of parents who are waiting an awful long time and there's one there's there's one study that says that parents wait up to four years. Do you think there's a reluctance to have your child diagnosed? Is it a sort of oh, I don't want it to be that you know in the way that we all put things off? Yeah I think I think I think it, it's really different it's you know I guess it's kind of you know you know, I think we, we talked about the phrase, you've, once you've met one child mm. with autism, you've met one child with autism. I think this is almost the same with parents in the, to an extent, which is that some parents find it psychologically quite difficult to deal with and to understand. Mm. Other parents are very, very proactively seeking the diagnosis um, and they're stuck in the system and it just takes a while uh, for that referral to be made and to go through the, the process and it, it can quite often involve a multi-disciplinary team so different specialists yeah. mm-hmm. ruling out different other potential things and so yeah it's, it's a very different experience for each set of parents but I think um, that wait for parents can be quite difficult mm-hmm. to deal with Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What difference do you think getting the diagnosis for you? I mean, you were 12, so you mm-hmm. would have known what life was before getting the diagnosis and what it was like afterwards. What what difference did it make to you? Um, Well, initially... Um, Initially, it was quite a difficult thing to to deal with because in 1997, when you read up literature around autism, it yeah. didn't necessarily feel like particularly good news. Um, and so I went for a period of finding things, you know, quite difficult. Um, I ended up having to come out of school. Um, I ended up in a mental health unit you know, for a short period of time. Um and you know, found things really, really difficult. I Can think. Can I ask why? Because you had been diagnosed with autism, and you didn't want that, and you thought life was going to be difficult from then on. Or what? What was the reasoning? Probably an accumulation of things. And so I think um, I tra- I transitioned to uh, uh, a new um, a new secondary school mm-hmm. as well, and I found that uh, really, really difficult. Um, and I think just. You know, being I was in a primary school, I think that was that was quite that was that was easier to deal with. But I think you know, socially things were getting more complicated as well. And I think um, it, it ultimately all became quite challenging, challenging to deal with. And so I think you know, once you put all of that together, it all sort of accumulated, and it sort of just became quite apparent all of a sudden that um, life had the potential to be quite hard. And it wasn't really there wasn't really an awful lot of hope at that at that, at that point in I time. I can understand that. Mm. I really can, can't you? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, what, in your view, because I've heard lots of people say, well, uh, should we really be talking about, uh, should we be telling our children that they're autistic, Mm. if they are autistic? If you've got the diagnosis, there are some people that say, we don't want to label that this child so therefore we're not going to tell them that this has happened and this is what the diagnosis well, if they're is diagnosed relatively if they're young. diagnosed quite young yeah. yeah and so i'm just quite i'm just quite interested in what your advice would be mm. vis-a-vis that so i mean i think there's obviously quite a lot of stigma that comes with autism and and, and also a neurodevelopmental condition and mental health uh more 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 generally i think it is it, it is useful in most cases uh for to try and explain uh, that someone is autistic, um, I think there are ways to explain it that are that are potentially quite useful and quite productive. Uh, so, I always think that if you think about this in the context of what we call neurodiversity, I don't know if you've heard of neurodiversity mm. before. Mm. Well, no, I have because um, a, a friend of mine was talking about. Actually, this is completely going off a little mm. bit, bit about um, the fact that a lot of companies now are trying to make the office space neurodiverse, mm. and there are certain. And, and you were talking earlier about um, or, autism and and the fact that some people go on and have these incredible lives. Mm. Um, and uh, she said that GCHQ are really keen to employ That's people right. that are. Yeah. Autistic. That's correct, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, so it's sort of like. Sorry, I've, I completely mm. re- went off on. No. From what relevant. you were saying before, but, but, I, uh, but yeah, so that was the neurodiverse situation, isn't it? Because it's yeah. it's all 
it's all stuff like autism, ADHD, dyspraxia. That kind, am I correct? That's right. And well, I think what the neurodiversity is. Oh, you're, you're you're correct. But neurodiversity is even broader than that. Yes, yeah, huge. Neurodiversity is about the fact that we all have different brains, right? Mm. We're all we're all unique and we're all different, and we all perceive and understand the world in in quite a unique way. And uh, autism and these are neurodevelopmental conditions are are part of that. Um, and you know what I've came to understand about having this diagnosis is that it's actually quite valuable because it's really helped me to understand myself and it's helped me to understand where I have uh, strengths and where I have weaknesses and areas for development and ways in which I can Im- improve myself as well. And you know, it's really been a useful starting point. And I sometimes see people who don't have autism and think, you know. Perhaps they could have done with an intervention like I've had. <laughs> like, you know, like actually, it's been uh, it's it's actually really really useful in the long term to understand yourself. And I think this whole concept of neurodiversity is not just useful for understanding autistic people. It's useful for understanding all people and, and thinking about how we get the best out of the best out of everyone. And so I think if it's explained in that way, that's a much more positive framing. And so I think it's about saying. It's not about limiting a person. It's about actually taking away uh, limits that already exist through the person not understanding themselves. And so the diagnosis has the potential to empower someone and to help them live the life that they want to live. Um, I I find that fascinating. Going back to what you were saying earlier about your own diagnosis, however, it caused you to have a, a dark period. I'm mm. just wondering whether if you don't get a diagnosis, what are the dangers possibly of not getting a diagnosis? Well, I think the danger is is that because of this diagnosis and because you see the world in a, in a slightly different way, people around you don't necessarily understand you. But I think most of all, you don't understand yourself. So, you know, you're having difficulties with day-to-day life. And so a big issue with autism might be something what we call executive functions, which is about how you think and how you plan. And you might be running into um, difficulties day-to-day. I'm going, oh, I'm just I'm just hopeless or I'm, I'm not good enough. And actually, if you understand why you're having these difficulties, then you don't then potentially have mental health problems down the line and I think that's one of the things that we've certainly learned from speaking to to autistic girls and and autistic women who have been diagnosed quite late in life is that they've ran into these mental health problems because of the way that people around them have treated them the way that society has treated them but also because they've been quite hard on themselves because they've not really understood Mm. some of the difficulties that they've had and I definitely can can understand that. Um, how often do adults I mean we hear a lot about kids getting diagnosed but how often do adults get diagnosed um, it's definitely becoming more common um, definitely there's a there's a cohort of people who don't have a diagnosis and many of them may not need a diagnosis at this stage they've maybe had some difficult points in their lives and they've just found a way to cope um, but um, it's definitely happening more commonly it's, it's quite hard to get an autism diagnosis when you're an adult we're only now developing the tools to be able to diagnose autism in adulthood because the way that diagnostic interviews work is essentially through uh, speaking to a parent and asking them about a series of life events when they're three to four years old and um, asking a parent about what a child you know, is like when they're three to four years old when the person is 
25. It's not going to be reliable. No, it's not going to really work. Is that the only test? Well, that, that's that's an example of one, but that's quite quite often how they're based around, or they're quite often based around asking the child to play in a certain set, set of contexts, yeah. and that's obviously not really appropriate for adults as well. So there's quite a lot of interviews at the moment which are being developed, and they're just going through a, a process and research around validating them to make sure that they're accurate, to make sure that they're reliable, to make sure that they can be used between different clinicians so that we know that we're diagnosing autism in a predictable and safe way. It's interesting. I've had a number of cases relatively recently, certainly in the last six months, of adults, working adults with undiagnosed autism and another one with, with undiagnosed ADD. Mm. And they had, you know, developed ways to get around it, but there were definite issues and mm. they kept screwing up at work for some reason that, mm. that when you just let them talk and of course here's that old argument you know in the NHS where you have 10 minutes mm. they just couldn't talk but when you actually say tell me all about your job what do you do what goes wrong why does it go wrong and suddenly this picture of, and it becomes screamingly obvious actually but you can only do that with time really can't you yeah yeah and I think that's I think that's actually one of the biggest things we can do as a society is to try and like I say uh you know, with adults trying to accommodate and actually realise that quite a lot of the time the issues that autistic adults have in employment are actually quite easily resolvable. And mm. so we've done, um, we've now got an initiative called Discover Autism Research and Employment. And effectively what we're trying to do is work with companies to try and help them get autistic adults into work. And we're trying to not just do it as a bit of a, a feel-good exercise, but we're actually doing research while they go in to try and understand what is and isn't working. And some of the things that we're finding is that actually a lot of, when a lot of serious issues arise, they start from quite small issues and it's actually just nipping things in the bud quite early on. And if you do that, actually autistic adults are quite often very capable of, 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 of doing very, very well in employment and and really value it and get a lot out of it and it's really good for their self-esteem. Um, do you think that companies, I mean, I mentioned GCHQ and I mentioned these neurodiverse workspaces. Do you think that people are very much more aware and are trying to put those uh, things in place to, to help people? Yeah, I think in employment and in, in, in companies in the corporate world, there's been sort of waves of enlightenment, hasn't, hasn't there? I mean, I think we've recently had one with mental health and I think the next one is very much neurodiversity. So mm. it's about just how can we accommodate everyone and, 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 and people who think a bit differently. I think companies are now beginning to understand that actually that has real value, uh, uh, you know, not just from a, a charitable perspective, but in terms of the performance of their, of their, of their company. Um, can I just mention another thing, which you will love me for mentioning this mm -hmm. because you get very as angry as I oh, do good. as well. Yeah. So a friend, the, the person that I mentioned before that, that gave me that quote about mm. one child and, um, She's an advocate because her son has autism and okay. she speaks, you know, she tweets a lot and talks about it. Are you going to use the it. V word? Mm. I was going to use the I word because she gets trolled with people saying, I bet you wish you, he hadn't been immunised. I was going to say vaccinated. That vaccinated. Was word. Same deal. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and I just find that absolutely <laughs> shocking that people still make that, make a link. Oh, yeah. Well, not, not. Not intelligent people, I would say. <laughs> but I would say certain people do still make that mm. link, don't they? Yeah, and it's 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 just very sad. Um, I know that organisations like the Wellcome Trust are trying really really hard to try and change perceptions and try and understand uh, why this myth continues to, mm. continues to persist. You know, I think we know we've looked at hundreds and 
hundreds of thousands of children and adults who've been uh, vaccinated. And we know that vaccines are completely safe and don't cause autism. Unfortunately, um, that's just a myth that continues to persist. And there's, you know, consistently things linked, other things linked to autism, which also have little basis. It's just a bit of an easy target, I think, for news and, and people who are, yeah, yeah. Slightly susceptible the to these with myths. The sort of myth is, is uh, and I, I talk a lot about this. I, I sort of do this talk on the mistrust of science and mm. all these rumours and does it really matter? And yes, it matters because once they're out there, they never, ever go away. Mm. You cannot Bring drag back. them back and put them away, ever. They are here to stay, unfortunately. So that autism and vaccination myth, you know, will always be around for for decades centuries to go um i was just thinking actually one of the your question about you know the importance of telling kids their diagnosis in a way that is appropriate for them is i i only okay so if you think about me why do i not like to think about me i was dyspraxic at school definitely i only worked that out about what six months ago actually probably talking to you i went oh my god yeah um you know dyspraxic Perfectionist personality, that's not a good thing. A horrible, very toxic thing to have. Um, an introvert and gay. So there's those four things that um, definitely affect my life in certain ways. And I've had to learn how to live with those things, mm. but didn't really know about any of them or had words for any of them for quite a long time. And I know they're not the same as, but they're not dissimilar to, are they, I suppose? Yeah. And I think it's about around you know your, how you identify and understand understand yourself and how you relate to other people in society and if you're having conversations with people and they're not having a relatable set of experiences mm. that can be it can cause anxiety and it's lonely yeah mm. yeah and if yeah exactly it feels lonely and isolating and, and why i think one of the things that we, we, we find when we speak to a lot of autistic people, autistic adults, is they get a lot out of just speaking to other autistic people mm. and they, they sort of find there's a shared experience. Um, well, I might not have time to do this. So I'm going to rattle through some myths because I, I think we need to get these out there because it's really mm. important. You've done vaccines. Brilliant for bringing that up. Good. No link between orgasm. <laughs> orgasm <laughs> autism and vaccines, correct? Correct. Yep. Um, what about autism caused by bad parenting? Nope. Nope. What about... Um, Is that really a thing? Have you heard that? No, I've heard that said. You so, are ru- that's rubbish. That said. So yeah. there's a, there was, that was, a, that was a, one of the first... Uh, there was an early theory around autism. So it's called the refrigerator mar- mother theory. Um, and uh, it's, it's all- always the mother as well. I yeah. love that. It's not the refrigerator yeah. dad, is it? Yeah, it's fairly always misogynistic. All right, what about kids with autism don't want to make friends? I think autistic... People do, most autistic people do want to build relationships with other people. They might do it in a slightly different way. Some We hear quite a lot of autistic kids value having a smaller, more select group of friends. Uh, but again, as, I, as I've said earlier, um, you can't generalise. Uh, autistic people are just like other people. They have different preferences socially. But yeah, I think they, they, they want to make friends generally. Another couple of things I'm going to rattle through. Kids with autism can't learn. They absolutely can. You know, they may need... Uh, a little bit of help in certain ways with certain subjects but they absolutely can and no they're not all like Rain Man they don't all necessarily have savant abilities 
um, you know, as portrayed on the telly, taking us back to the telly thing. Are we out of time? I think we are, my love. I've lost my bit of paper with the ending <laughs> bit. On. Do you really need it? You're normally Not just really. such a pro. You heart, could just rattle know. through oh, yeah, it. Well, I mean, that was actually fascinating, I have to say. Um, James, thank you so much for coming to join us and talking so knowledgeably about it. Um, Alex, thank you as always. Who are you now? Chief Medical Officer Alex. Oh, 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 thank you. Lost my um, titles. Thank you, the listeners, for joining us. If you've liked this podcast, don't forget, you can... What can you do? Give us five stars, mm-hmm. vote, do something like Subscribe that. Subscribe to us. Subscribe to us all. Um, if you want to ask us questions, you can email in to surgery at thepodcastworks.com. You can even tweet me questions if you want to. We have had a few, actually. We must do them. Remind me. We must do those questions. Um, if you like what you've heard, as I say, give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. 